You're listening to Sermons by the Park, the weekly podcast from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and our current sermon series is called Miraculous. We're turning to the stories told in Scripture of Jesus's seemingly impossible deeds, like turning water into wine, walking across the surface of a lake, even saving the soul of a sinner. If you've ever wondered what to believe about these strange things, if you've ever wondered how could this be, or what it could mean for us who live in a world that seems to be devoid of such miraculous things, well, I invite you to listen and to wonder. Here's this week's message. reading today is Luke 18 verses 35 through 43. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly said, be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still, bring the man to me. What do you want me to do for you, said Jesus. Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading actually just picks up where we left off in Luke's Gospel starting at the beginning of chapter 19. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. Now when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome Jesus. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save 
the lost. May God add a blessing to this word as well. Let us pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the wonders you have displayed in this world and in this word. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, open our ears and our minds. Open everything in us, O God, that we may be changed by meeting you in Christ here today through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this morning we have heard in Luke's gospel not one, but two miracle stories. And that may surprise you, given that the first one is the only one that seems to have anything sort of supernatural happen in it when a blind man has his sight restored. But if you bear with me a little while, we will see that Christ is at work in miraculous ways in both of these stories Kristen Smedley is the author of a book called Thriving Blind, um, where she tells the story of becoming the mother of two blind sons. She gave a TED Talk a number of years ago on this subject as well. And there she talked about how her world changed the day the doctor came in and told her when her four-month-old son, Michael, was uh, there getting his checkup that he was, in fact, blind. Kristen was devastated. She says that all her dreams, all her plans for him, the whole life she had envisioned for him, the star of the baseball team, the first job, the first car, all of that had been taken away from her in that moment. And so she bore the weight of that grief and that sadness and lived in in fear for what her son would become, what his life would be, until one day, She says she was having a rather heated conversation with God in her bedroom. And her now three-year-old son, Michael, came toddling in. And he said, Mama, are you in here? And she replied, Yes, I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. And it was just, just yet another reminder that he would never be the independent, successful person she had always envisioned and dreamed that he would be. He was standing right there and still couldn't see her. It was almost like he was saying to her, I will be forever broken and disabled. But then Michael said to her, isn't this just the best day ever? The sun is shining. I have all these great toys to play with. What could be better than this? And then he just bounced out of the room back to his toys. And in that moment, she realized that her grief and her fear, her sadness, all of those burdens that she felt were hers and not his. Though blind, Michael was safe and happy and joyful even in a way that she certainly was not. And so she realized, she realized that Michael was living in a way that she didn't think would be possible for him to live because he was different, because he was not sighted. But from then on, she allowed Michael to lead her to see his life and her own life in a new and different way. 
Most folks who do not intimately know someone who lives with a disability are like Kristen Smedley was. We assume that to live with a disability is to live a less fulfilling life. And we assume that it means to be constantly in pain, constantly isolated, constantly fearful, and therefore constantly unhappy. And in this assumption, we fail to even fathom the possibility that those perceived to be disabled can and often do live richly and joyfully, even as those who seem to have life going their way may be the most broken and damaged and alone among us. In some ways, the story of the miraculous healing of the blind beggar outside Jericho reinforces these assumptions. Upon hearing that Jesus is coming, all the blind man wants in the world is for Jesus to hear him and take pity on him so that, so that he can have what he wants most, to have his sight restored. And through Jesus' incredible and wondrous power, the man receives exactly what he asks for. No longer disabled, he rejoices in the possibility of achieving happiness, achieving the joy that he hoped for. But in looking at this story, let us widen the scope a little bit and think about what's happening in this miraculous moment a little more. Here sits a man who had been economically dependent and socially outcast. We think because of his blindness, because he cannot see as other people do. The story says that we are not yet in the town of Jericho proper. We're still on the way on the road, and so... So we know that this man has literally been cast out to beg. A crowd has gathered to come and see Jesus, and they have placed themselves quite deliberately between the blind man and the star attraction. After all, he doesn't need to see Jesus. He can't see anything at all. But in doing this, the crowd, who has already marginalized this man in so many ways, just reinforce reinforce how much of an outsider he is. And when he speaks up, they shush him. And no doubt his shouting was detracting from the wonder of the holy moment of Jesus walking in their midst. No doubt shouting would not be welcome in such a situation. So they shushed him. They shushed him. But the blind beggar knew. He knew that he had to make himself heard, and so he persisted. In shouting, he shouted all the more loudly, it says, until Jesus stops and stands still. In the midst of the waves of the crowd crashing in upon him, in the midst of all the pleas and, and ble for blessings and healings that are, that are battering him from every side, Jesus stands still and defies the wind and the waves and orders, orders, commands, that the man from the margin be brought to him, so that right there in the company of this unruly crowd, he might be the one to receive a blessing. And Jesus tells the man that it was his faith, his commitment to seeing Christ, his persistence in, in shouting all the more loudly, this is what has given him his sight back, indeed what has saved him. And when the man regains his sight, he praises God, it says. And he follows Jesus. But listen to what it says in the next verse. It 
says, all the people, when they saw it, they too praised God. In other words, they were all praising God together. The story forces us to ask, who really was blind in this situation? Who were the ones who regained their sight? Surely it was the blind beggar, but it was all the people who were there who came to see what faith in Christ can do. What that longing to see Jesus can lead to. Not just a miraculous healing, but also the restoration of this man from the margins to the very center of their community. And that restoration, that salvation, that is miraculous. So that's the first miracle story. But what about the second? What is miraculous about this story of Zacchaeus? We're told that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in Jericho, and he was very rich. The chief tax collector was the one who was given the authority by the Roman government to levy taxes uh, upon the citizens of the town. The Romans would give the chief tax collector an amount of money that, that they would have to pay up, but then it would be up to the tax collector to collect that money, to, to deputize various folks to, to go and, and get the money from, from the people. And whatever extra they could collect would go to line the pockets of, of the tax collectors and especially of the chief tax collector. You can, think of it, you can think of it like a mafia don running a protection racket. He, uh, he hires strong men, and they go shop to shop, house to house, and they all say, it'd be a real shame if something were to happen. And so they pay up. And he gets to sit back and enjoy the spoils of their efforts. And in this sense, Zacchaeus is about as far from a blind beggar beside the road as one could be. And yet the two are not so different. For both Zacchaeus and the blind beggar want the same thing. They both want to see Jesus. And both are stopped from doing so by some natural limitation. For the beggar, it is his lack of sight, and for Zacchaeus, it is his lack of height. Yet Zacchaeus, like the beggar, is persistent. When the crowds come between him and Jesus, he runs ahead in the direction Jesus is going. He runs ahead and climbs a tree. Now just imagine Don Corleone from The Godfather running down the street and then climbing a tree. Rich people don't run. They're not in a hurry. They don't have to be. That's the nice thing about being rich. If time is money, rich people have all the time in the world. And so, so rich people don't run. That's strange enough. But, but rich people certainly don't climb trees either. In fact, most people don't climb trees. When was the last time you climbed a tree? It's strange, it's odd, it's weird, and we're supposed to recognize it as such. And yet Zacchaeus is indifferent to the indignity of his situation. He is persistent. He wants to see who Jesus is. We're never told why he was trying to see who Jesus was. You could speculate that perhaps it was because he was just curious about what this crowd was gathered around here for. 
That probably doesn't explain the efforts he went to. So he must have known something about Jesus. He must have heard some of the stories about what Jesus could do. Perhaps he was like those folks in the crowd who wanted something from Jesus. Or perhaps he was afraid that Jesus' arrival in Jericho could portend uh, an end to his business. With the blind beggar, it was quite obvious what he wanted. He literally shouted it. Have mercy on me, son of David. But, but what did Zacchaeus want? Why does anyone want to see Jesus? Why do you want to see Jesus? Do you even want to see Jesus? Many people, even those who claim to be Christians, do not really want to see Jesus, I think. Now and in his time, many people are put off by the reality of who Jesus is, choosing instead to remake him in their own image. That's because to see Jesus is to see something unsettling, something beyond what is ordinary, beyond what is natural, something miraculous. To see Jesus is to be struck by the inbreaking of a person whose spirit is the very spirit of the living God, creator of all things. It's also to be struck by the will of God breaking into the world, into a world that is grown weary of doing the will of others. When just after his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus emerged on the scene at the synagogue in Nazareth, he stood up and read the words of the prophet Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said to the people who were all sitting there listening to them, seeing him for the first time, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was saying, I am this scripture, this gospel, this good news is me. And so those who want to see Jesus should expect to see this. Good news for the poor. Captives released, blind, able to see for themselves, and oppressed, freed from their shackles. Those who want to see Jesus want to see a world where The differences and distinctions that keep us apart from one another, poverty and imprisonment, isolation, oppression, all of these things, race, ability, gender, sexual identity, all of these points of disconnection and disharmony in our world, those who want to see Jesus want to see a world where those are dissolved into an abundant life without limits. Of course, Zacchaeus doesn't really seem to fit in any of those categories. Still, Jesus recognizes him. Jesus recognizes him for who he is, not some rich mafioso making a fool of himself, but someone searching for something that money could not buy. He calls Zacchaeus down from the tree, and then he orders him, he tells him, as if by divine command, that Zacchaeus will host him tonight. 
It's not just that Jesus invites Zacchaeus to follow him, keeping Jesus at the center of the story. No, Jesus says, you, Zacchaeus, you will be the host, and I will be your guest. I will be the outsider so that you don't have to be anymore. And to the scoffers in the crowd, this is, of course, a wonder. What kind of, what kind of holy man, what kind of miracle worker would dine with mafiosos and prostitutes and drag queens and other lowlifes like that? But all those who wonder at Jesus, they don't see him for who he is. He says, I came to seek out the lost. Not lost to me, lost to you, the ones you do not see. For the lost shall be found. He says Zacchaeus will be called one of us, a son of Abraham. Salvation will come to his house because he will be seen as a member of this community, no longer set apart because of what he does. The strange thing about this text is that there's an ambiguity that has long sort of confused interpreters about what Zacchaeus actually says to Jesus. In the original Greek text, it's, it's, what he says is written in the present tense. I give away half my wealth to the poor, and I return anything I take unlawfully fourfold. In other words, the most literal translation of what Zacchaeus says is, is to justify himself, to say, look, I'm not a bad guy. I am not Don Corleone. I'm not what you imagine when you hear chief tax collector. I give away half my wealth to the poor and anything I take unlawfully fourfold. Can you imagine that? Half of his wealth, not a tithe, not 10%, half. And if he, if he wrongs anyone, he doesn't pay it back. He doesn't even pay it back with interest, 10%, 20%, 300% interest. Who does that? What kind of generosity is that? Would you ever expect such a thing? from the chief tax collector. For many years, it was the people's prejudice, I think, that drove Zacchaeus up that tree to feel so lost and so alone. And perhaps it was that pain of being lost and alone and unwelcome that, that made Zacchaeus want to see Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't go to Jesus and ask the question that so many asked. What must I do to inherit this abundant life you keep talking about? Instead, he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm giving away my wealth. I'm returning and righting what is wrong. Isn't that enough? But of course, the most common translation is that Zacchaeus doesn't say that he is doing it now, but that he will that he will give away half his wealth, that having seen and been seen by Jesus, something in him changes. There's a miraculous change of heart, and he declares that he will now be generous. And the thing is, I wonder which of those versions of the story is more wonderful. That a wealthy person could be that generous and no one would know about it? Or that it's actually possible for someone to have a change of their heart and their mind so dramatic, even that their ill-gotten gains could become the seeds for a new life. 
Whichever way we want to think about it, what is really miraculous in both of these stories is not just the change in the person who sees and is seen by Jesus. It is in the change of heart in those around them. The way they are reconciled back into their community that had long ago written them off. And this, at the bottom of it, I think is what's really behind the desire to see Jesus. That we don't want to be alone anymore. Those who really want to see Jesus sense that in this thoroughly disenchanted world, it is a lonely place to live. Perhaps they have experienced being cast out because of who they are, how they identify what they do. Perhaps they have experienced being cast out because of illness or age or because of the way they make their living. Even those of us who lead lives of relative comfort and ease can find ourselves with this sense of being cast out and being alone. And that can eat away at our supposedly happy lives. And for a while we may be able to make our way in the world. We may be able to get on for a time all alone, but eventually all of us, because we are created in the image of a God who is inherently relational, all of us will eventually not want to be alone anymore. And here, in the presence of Christ, we don't have to be alone. For Christ sees us, each and every one of us. And when through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, when we meet Christ in that way, when we have our own vision restored, we begin to see Christ in others. And they don't have to be alone anymore either. And so, beloved community, the reign of Christ begins to spring up out of barren ground. And that is truly a miracle in our midst. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you heard something in this week's message that inspires you, even moves you. To learn more about Union Congregational Church and our ministries, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org. Or you can join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m., either here in the sanctuary at 55 Rhodes Avenue or online at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. Our theme music is provided by RKVC. Once again, thank you for listening. And until we meet again, may God's grace and peace be with you.